Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. everybody. Good morning and welcome to the PBSC podcast. Steve Moore and Mark Castleman here. We are here for episode 141, uh, part three in our three-part series on basic recovery tools. Uh, two weeks ago, we covered all things journaling and talked about the value and the potential that it has for both addicts and spouses, as well as the role that it plays in, in setting ourselves up for uh, a successful experience in basic recovery tool number two, which we covered last week, which are uh, couples check-ins. And we kind of explored that in depth and uh, had a really good discussion about that. And here we are with part three as we kind of wrap up this little series of ours, uh, building out a support system in recovery, mm. um, which is like these other topics that we're covering mm. in this three-part series. They're things that we mention on here fairly frequently, but it's usually kind of in passing with other you know main topics that we're discussing. And so we're going through and doing this so that each of you has got a really good grasp. When we reference check-ins offhand, a reference journaling, you know what we're talking about. And we'll be kind of referring you back to episodes like this. So excited to be here and to uh, jump right into all things uh, support systems. Yeah. So let's, uh, as we've done in the other the other two episodes in this series, let's talk about the problem or the challenge that this addresses with regard to addiction recovery and healing from betrayal trauma. You know, one of the things, uh, Steve, that you and I know not just from our, our experience as therapists, but in our personal experience, is that recovery never works in a vacuum. Yep. Now, I know that's true because I tried it for several <laughs> decades. What did I say? God and I can handle this just fine by ourselves. I don't need to bring anybody else into this process. This is going to work just great. And I don't even need to bring my wife into this process. I'm a therapist. I got this. <laughs> And yeah, that didn't work out so well. All it did was kept me stuck on the the hamster wheel of, you know, relapsing and getting sober and relapsing and getting sober, you know, over and over and over again. And the reason that that's true is, right, isolation, <clears throat> going it alone in all of its forms, it, it does a bunch of things. It decreases safety. Our own personal safety, but also the safety with a with a spouse, for example, when we isolate, we know what happens. Our spouses know what it feels like when their their partners isolate. 
right? And, mm, yeah. and uh, avoid and escape and run away and shut down and become stoic. Um, it encouraged going it alone encourages avoidance. I can avoid all sorts of difficult situations with other people because I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. I don't have to do hard things when I take that approach. And so what all, what that whole go it alone mark did for me, it just fed my whole addiction process. Mm. It fed the addiction cycle. As we know as spouses, when this, when this going it alone happens, uh, it also feeds, you know, the trauma responses. It, this deepens the difficult issues for both the addict and the spouse. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, it's, it, it every in every way, right? I mean, if you look at, at at for example, you know, addicts, the reality is is that you know when we look at the exchange between you know an addict and a partner in this process, as an addict, I mean, I like like Mark, I I too took that road, and mine was that you know I'm a therapist, I've got this approach. That's what you could etch on my tombstone. Like, <laughs> I don't need anyone. I teach this for a living. <laughs> I you know? got this. Yeah. Um, I got this, but. When you look at the interaction between two partners and speaking from the addict side, I can tell you firsthand, I, there are many times I have reflected over the years where I would have, and I know Mark would too, we would have given anything to have untraumatized our partners. Mm, yes. If there was a way to reverse that course, to reverse that river, to reverse that, you know, that deluge of hurt and hard and everything that was going to come with it. I think both of us would have paid any price for that. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, as we've talked about before on here, trauma is a one-way street and there is no time machine for going back with these things. And oftentimes addicts, and again, Mark and I, I think would be in unison on this. We, we As we're going through and we're watching a spouse hurt and we're watching them uh, struggle, uh, there are two, or we we've ourselves find ourselves struggling right? One of the hardest things in the world is to accept the fact that as much as I want to turn to my wife right now, as much as she has been a support for me, because of the damage that I have caused and in the way in which I've caused it to the person that I've caused, ergo, this person that I love, they cannot in many ways, if not always, at least at the beginning, be my source for collaboration and healing. The relationship will not work for that. In this situation, I have compromised my existing primary support system, right? And by by those actions. Did I violate that? Oh my gosh. I violated that so many times when I tried to put my whole load of recovery stuff on my wife. Yes, absolutely. And she, she, there, there was too much going on with her own pain and her own trauma and, and betrayal and trying to heal through all of that. Plus holding down the fort with the family, in our case, six kids. And now Mark's going to load all of his stuff on his wife. Yeah. Let's talk, honey. Let me tell you about my difficult day. And right, here's Mark vomiting up emotionally on his wife. Yeah. And she just, she could not take that load and it was not healthy for her to do so. And here's, and here's the biggest part that hindered my wife's healing and recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, and 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 when we look at what recovery for what it really is, and I know everybody listening is is you know we know that you're all at different stages of this, but you will come to see that the many spouses from a valiant place, because like Mark's spouse, mine did the same. 
uh, Brittany tried to love me into recovery. Mm, yes. Um, which was well intended, but unfortunately enabled far more than it helped. Um, the, the way in which we approached that together as a couple wasn't healthy. And my wife had to come to the conclusion, just like I did, that my wife cannot save me from my crap. She just can't. The shame that I has been building for years before this ever was an addiction, the emotions and the baggage that contributed to my addiction, the fact of the stuff that I'm dealing with now, not only does she have to heal and to do her her own work, no, I know from first experience, firsthand experience that when a spouse tries to intervene that way, no matter how loving, all it does is drain them of necessary energy that they need to be devoting, like like you said, Mark, to themselves, to the family, et cetera, because we, we will burn ourselves out trying to save a partner from that which we can't do, even if we wanted to. Yeah. Right. Nobody can make Steve not feel shame. Now you're my wife. The only person that can do that is Steve. Yeah. Right. And the more we spend the time on that, the more the more we we leave ourselves vulnerable. So, well, and, and there's a really important factor in this because it's, mm, this isn't black or white, all or nothing. So for example, when I work with some couples as they get into more advanced couples work and, and they've done their personal work, I will tell guys in some ways, the greatest healer for your wife in her trauma is you. Mm. You were the cause of that trauma and that pain. And in many ways, you as, as you've advanced and done your work and she's done hers, you can step into the place of a healer for her. But but that there are other areas of trauma where that guy in recovery cannot be the sole source of healing for his wife. He cannot. When well, I even said, then, the right, sole source, right? And even then, isn't he still providing? He's providing like that space, right? As he's doing his work and creating safety and all those things. Sure, but at the end of the day, she still has to make that choice, right? To leap back into the relationship or to mm -hmm. recommit or whatever, right? All you can kill every flower in Brazil for your partner, but that won't <laughs> won't make her say, "Yeah, I want to do it again," right? Or yeah, I want I, back in. And I find, and, and my, my heart really does go out to spouses because sometimes they really are wanting this guy in recovery to be their full support. Mm, yeah. Can he just heal me? Can he just do everything that is needed so that he's my support and we can just fix this? But no matter how much you want that, there, there are ways where he can't be that. And, and that's why we're talking about this support system today is for both the addict and for the spouse in healing. You have to have an outside support system that is not your spouse. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, completely agree with that. Right. And, and, and it does facilitate best our, our healing, uh, each individual's healing. And really, I know it sounds bass backwards to some, right. But, but focusing on the healing of the self both the addict and the spouse and employing these outside support systems really does actually help the coupleship to heal the quickest way possible. I agree with that. Um, it kind again, of sounds, sounds counterintuitive. Weird. It does. I have people, you know, the, the, we talked about in the last episode, I have people come to me and say, yep, we thought the solution was to jump right into couples therapy and that was going to solve the whole thing. Yeah. It, it, I don't like to use the word always, but man, pretty close to always typically ends up in a disaster. 
yep. the individual work has not been done first and the outside support system has not been tapped into trying to come together as a couple before those other things are happening is it's it's virtually impossible agreed so let's jump into kind of the solution why why are these outside support systems so important before we jump into what they look like and how they can you know what role different ones can play let's talk about the why is this necessary then Mm-hmm. Right. If 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 we're going to, you know, we as and a lot of this goes back to just you know basic humanity. We as people, as we t- say on this podcast all the time, people are wired to connect. Research study after study has shown that we are wired for connection. We are wired to collaborate. We are wired to uh, be involved with other people, and involving others in our struggles is something that we all come wired for. Um, but again, here we are in a dynamic where our most intimate relationship is no longer a safe space for that, at least for the time being. And so we have to fill that gap, right, with something in 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 appropriate ways. Um, involving others in the struggle, you know, it creates a, there's a commonality that comes from being able to connect with and relate to people. And we're going to talk about some of the ways to do this, but people who who get it. Finding other people and linking up with other people, for example, who are going through a similar experience as yourself, be it addiction or be it the trauma uh, of the actions of a partner surrounding it. The, 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 I, what I think I have, what's been hard, but a, a hard truth to learn for, for many clients of both Mark and I is that unless you have experienced something like being the spouse of a sex addict, or unless you've experienced what it's like to walk in the shoes of a sex addict, the reality is it's just very, very hard to really get that world. Everything from the taboo nature of it to the secrecy involved to the conflicting loyalties to the, I mean, all of it, right? Dealing, navigating a culture that is so averse to that. I mean, all of those pieces, it's very hard to find people outside of that realm that can really connect in a way that those people can. And so being in a place, having a space to go to people where you can say something like, for example, as an addict and be able to say, I'm, you know, this is a real scenario from Steve's world. I masturbated in the car driving here twice. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. My way to group. On my way to group. You know, if I say that anywhere else, thankfully, the statute of limitations is passed on that now. I'd probably be be arrested. Right. (laughs) Someone's probably calling the police. I say that in my 12-step group, and two other guys will probably raise their hand and say, I did that a month ago. That really sucks. Let's talk about it. Yeah. yeah. There's a power in that that you just can't purchase. You can't buy that, right? Yeah. And the same thing on the spouse's side. You know, yes. a woman be able to be able to sit with other women who, who are or have experienced great pain and to be able to and to be able to feel empathy, to be able to feel connection, to be able to feel like I'm not alone. I'm not unique. Right. There are others who have, who have been through and are going through this and to just feel that camaraderie and, and that commonality, right. To, to normalize in some ways, the situation is just so critical. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, having a support system is also crucial as a place to be able to bounce resources off of people. Right. As we come up with ideas or approaches in recovery, Having someone in our corner who A, gets our situation, but B, can give us real feedback without judging Mm. us is invaluable, right? This is a common dynamic, for example, that spouses face all the time. I hear this constantly, and Mark, I know you do too. You know, I want to tell people, but I can't tell my family. 
Because if I tell them what's going on, they're instantly going to rally around me and immediately say divorce is ass. That's going to be their first response right out the gate. They're not going to hear anything else. That's where they're going to default. And I may need to do that at some point, but I'm not there yet. And that's not going to be helpful for me. Right. And so being able to, again, go to somebody else who knows what it's like to work on this and being able to say, hey, what do you think about this? Or I'm thinking about maybe taking this approach with this goal I set in therapy. Rather than having someone in there constantly chiming and, you know, automatically, you know, dismissing you or jumping on your husband's case or jumping on your spouse's case or whatever, right? They can actually provide that valuable third party feedback that says, you know what, that sounds like a great idea. Or, hey, you may want to try this first. You know, I tried something like that with my spouse and it did not go well. Maybe you give this a shot. Well, and, and the other thing those those supportive groups uh, really do for us is is it is it is a place to legitimately vent negative emotions or, totally. or toxicity. Absolutely, we do need to get it out. You don't just shut it down and pretend like it doesn't exist. It needs to come out. It needs to be expressed. It needs to be validated and honored. And those groups can provide the place for to do that, other than just relying on the relationship between. The, for example, the a woman in in healing from betrayal trauma and her and her her addict spouse in recovery, the only place she has to vent all of that is with him. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, you're going to have a really difficult time. For example, with couples check ins and making progress if it's always negative and venting and toxic. Yeah, you need to have a place to be able to do that. So yeah. then show up in a, in a more regulated space when you come together as a couple. And the same thing holds true for addicts as well, right? Totally. This is one that I've been working on with, with, I'm thinking of, of, of some clients right now where you have to have that place to process that. In fact, my wife has a longstanding boundary with me around relapses. I haven't mm-hmm. had one in almost eight years, but if I ever do, her instructions are really clear. You need to tell me within 24 hours, but you don't talk to me about it until you talk to somebody in your support system. Yes. And she's told me exactly why. It's what we're talking about. (laughs) I don't need Mopey Steve. Mopey Steve (laughs) isn't going to help this. You come into me like talking like you're just, you know, I'm not worthy. That's just dysfunctional, right? That, But what does that do? It forces my wife. It puts pressure on her to go back to that same rescue mode that we used to go to. It's my job to handle that stuff. And and people in my circle, that's where they become valuable because then once I process that junk out and I'm able to vent it and get some feedback and some guys in my circle are lovingly able to say, you know, this isn't going to serve you well. What's your actual plan <laughs> you know, for moving forward? Then yeah, I can actually or- show up as me. Or the right. or guys in the group can get a little bit of tough love that was totally. really valuable for me. They say, look, dude. You've 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 reported to us this same type of relapse like six times. Yes. Like what the heck? Yeah. It's time to get serious, man. And I had a guy, they, in, I had a guy in group one you. time tell me he he looked at me after relating something. He said, "Look, I love you, man, but look, you're just not that special," which was <laughs> great for me to hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a place to bounce ideas <laughs> off, vent stuff that legitimately needs to come out. Thus, reducing your reactivity, not just with yourself, with with you as a couple, but your your reactivity within yourself. Yes. When we isolate and shut down and go it alone, we are just filled with reactivity within ourselves. And here's the other part. You brought this up, Steve. I think it was in our last episode. 
this connecting with your authenticity. Too often when we get caught up in the pain and the immediacy of what's going on in addiction or, or healing, we can, we can turn into somebody that we're not in order to cope, right? The angry spouse or the, or the, the, the shame filled, you know, um, you know, pouty, moody, little addict, we turn into something that we're not, it's not authentic. If we have a space, a group, a support system to go work those things out so that we can then show up authentic in my truer, higher self, as I come together with a spouse, man, what an advantage that is Mm. because you plugged into your support system to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. And, and again, this is something that, I mean, Mark and I are obviously therapists, so that you won't find any bigger advocates of therapy in this process than us. But I will be the first to tell you that there, there are certain elements of recovery as it, now, I guess Mark and I are kind of unique because we're also addicts in recovery, but maybe for a typical, typical therapist, there are, there are free options for certain parts of this that a therapist can't do no matter how much they may want to, right? A ther- that's the kind of support that money, again, cannot buy. Right, being able to get in the trenches with somebody who really gets it and can give you advice like that in real time based on their own experience. That's just that's not common. Yeah. Right. And so this again is just an invaluable resource that you can't replace with other things in many cases. No, and as I'm thinking, uh, uh, Steve, you had a last bullet here on the solution. And this mm-hmm. was really true for me. I had no relationship skills whatsoever. Mm. I did not know how to engage in difficult conversations. I didn't know how to confront. I didn't know how to hold space for dual realities. I didn't know I was I was I was basically inept when it came to human healthy human relationships mm-hmm. and I needed a space to be able to practice those things. I needed a safe space to fall on my face and stumble around and be awkward and embarrassed and you know, struggle with having been confronted and talking about something hard or letting myself be seen. I needed to do that someplace instead of downloading all that crap on my wife. And so the support group place and, and that support system was the perfect place for me to learn my skills, to get my feet wet with regard to how do you navigate into intimate relationship challenges? How do you do that? Well, Mm -hmm. I learned that with other guys in group. Absolutely. You know, and that's, and, and, and there are, you know, when it comes to the how of this, because I know we've got to wrap up, we, we better get some suggestions of what this can look like. Some of these you're probably familiar with, some of these you're not. <clears throat> First one that we're going to unashamedly talk about <laughs> is our Dare to Connect program for addicts, spouses, and couples. Um, we, guys, there, we have, Mark and I have created a program that is unique. As far as we know, it, it's different than any other program addressing the subject on the planet in like any way. Um, you get two addicts and therapists in long-term recovery who are presenting valuable information each week who can connect and relate with you. And it's in an environment where you are in a community where you can chat back and forth with other couples in an anonymous way who are going through the same stuff in real time. Um, here, as we launch our the 2.0 iteration of our program, we will be adding full-on uh, 12-step-based uh, support groups to our program here in the next month or two. Uh, as well as some other really cool, exciting features that we can't announce yet. But there are some great, awesome things happening there. We have tr- created D2C to be a place where you can find essentially everything minus one-on-one therapy here. 
And yep, so everything we've talked you. about today, everything we've been Absolutely. talking about in your outside support system, we've tried to put it into to, to Dare to Connect. It's a one-stop shop for recovery minus that one-on-one therapy component. And so we we hope you'll give that a try. DareToConnectNow.com is the address. We have a two-week free trial going on with that right now. We would love to have you come join us. Please give it a shot. Um, but outside of Dare to Connect, we're the first to tell you also that that's not the only resource, right? Getting into one-on-one therapy. We talk about this frequently. Um, you know, Mark and I, we continue to maintain clinics. Find a therapist who knows what they're doing in this process and connect up if you can, if you can afford it. And do, and whatever to whatever degree you can, even a little bit of guidance there can go a long way. Um, yeah. Groups, right? Groups, groups, groups. <laughs> we push. We can't push groups enough. Uh, enough. Mark and I, we frequently mention twelve-step groups. I make no bones about the fact that I am. I attend a twelve-step group pretty much every week and have for a decade, um, and yep. I continue to. Um, so that's a huge place. Uh, sponsors also, right? Someone one-on-one who can work with you in your recovery process. Um, accountability partners are very similar to sponsors, but again, somebody who's a contact point podcast, like the one you're listening to. Um, most of all, I think it comes down to just reach out to somebody, talk to someone, open up about this. We have heard every reason under the sun, Mark and I, uh, and that's not to say that they're not good reasons about why there aren't safe people or why there isn't this, or I don't want to get uncomfortable. I don't want to whatever. In my whole career, and Mark, tell me if you've experienced anything different, never once have I referred somebody to 12-step who's really been able to, for example, embrace it and give it a shot and try multiple groups and found one that they liked, or they were able to look me in the eye and say they regretted it. No, not um, a single time. It's just, it, it, once, we op- once you find the courage to open up and you find some people that you click with, what we always hear is, I don't know how I ever did this before. Yeah. So please, please find something. Yeah. Why didn't I do this sooner? Why did I wait? <clears throat> that was my story. Why did I wait 20 years? Yes. Stop going it alone. Yes. I, man, I could have saved myself and my wife and a whole bunch of other people a lot of grief. Holy smokes. <laughs> no kidding. And a lot of money probably too. <laughs> a lot of money, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the conclusion of our three-part series. And awesome. uh, we, we hope it's been helpful. We've really enjoyed doing it. Yes. And uh, in our next episode, we'll kind of return to our normal PBSC flow. In fact, I think, I think we have, a, we have we'll, well, by the time people hear this third episode, we probably will have had a lot of people asking questions and, and wanting um, podcast episodes, but we had this three-part series filling up all the time for three weeks. So, yes. so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get, we will be getting to all your questions probably for the backlog <laughs> in our next episode so which can be be submitted by the way via the our contact form at pbsepodcast.com so. yep yep great to spend time with you and uh again we hope to see you over at dare to connect and we'll certainly see you next time on pbse have a great week everybody everything expressed on the pbse podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.